Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Link Kick Extra podcast. It's Tuesday morning. It's November 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Thanksgiving, a mere 48 hours away. I know a lot of you are already out on the road. Your boy's going to be out on the road right after we do Late Kick Live tonight. I'm going home to Harris County, GA for a few days. And then the little casual trip up to Detroit over to Ann Arbor for the game between Ohio State and Michigan this Saturday. And then going to come to Nashville to do the Sunday show and then going to go back down to Georgia for a few days before we scoot up to Atlanta on Thursday to do Thursday's Late Kick Live from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the site of the SEC Championship game, which we will then be covering two days later, Alabama versus Georgia. Uh, that was about two or three breaths. Thought I would do it in one. The over hit. That's my itinerary coming up. How is yours looking? I can tell you this morning, our show looks like this. It's loaded. I went on Twitter last night. I said, give me the questions. We got a Thanksgiving mailbag to do. A lot of people are going to be counting on this as they travel up and down the roads. Where are we going this week? We're going everywhere from Charleston, West Virginia to... um, You know what? Let's go to a state we don't go to often. How about Pueblo, Colorado? Not even Denver. We're going all the way out almost to Nevada, I think that would be. So Pueblo, Colorado. Hats off to those in Pueblo, the Pueblans who listen to the show. And that is, by the way, not Nevada that Colorado touches. That would be Utah. The West is big, people. The West is big. I grew up in Georgia. I had no clue, but the West is big. Okay, so let's dive into the mailbag. I'm going to kind of lace some odds and ends about the show throughout the mailbag this morning, but I also don't want to filibuster the first five minutes with all business and no Q&A. So let's dive in. The first question, I'm going in no particular order here. Andre said, how tough is it really to coach in the SEC? What about the expectations versus college football in general? Andre, I think it is probably more tough today than it ever has been. But it's tough because now the competition is a little bit different. Here's what I mean by that. There's always been, per capita, a lot higher passion level in the South for football in general. Now, here's what I didn't say. A lot of you heard what I didn't say. What I didn't say was, oh, they don't really care as much in Columbus or Ann Arbor or State College. I didn't say that. Didn't say that at all. What I'm saying is, if you go to the secondary and tertiary levels, got it in already, tertiary, less than four minutes in. If you go to the second and third levels of these conferences, if you go to what you would call the B-tier and C-tier programs, the B and C tier programs in the SEC have a higher passion level amongst the fan bases than any other B and C tier programs in any other conference in America. So it's just deeper. It's wider and it's deeper. But the passion's always been there. The competition has not always been there to an elite degree. It certainly has been in most of our lifetimes, but it hasn't always been that way. But here's what I mean by it's tougher today than it ever has been. This goes back to Andre's question. I think it's tougher because the money, while it's great to have when you're on top, it has changed the perception and the expectation level down here. Trust me, I grew up in the South. I've been here my whole life. 
these days, because of what you get paid, it is the full-on microwave mentality. It's the same thing I talked about or cautioned against with Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Michigan State's extending Mel Tucker. They're giving him over $9 million a year. That's wonderful. I'm all for everyone getting every dime they can. Just don't expect someone to be capable of more than 100% of their capability. It doesn't matter how much you pay them. I use the old box jump theory. If my maximum capability is jumping 35 inches in the air, but then you pay me $9 million, tell me to jump 40 inches high, I will fail for you every time. Because you had the false expectation, not me. I'm only capable of what I'm capable of. Well, in the South, what they started to do is they started to say, okay, we got a few big dogs down here, so let's just pay our coaches more so we can match the big dogs. Well, that's not how you match the big dogs. Because number one, it offsets. Because if the big dog is paying $5 million and you're paying two, but then you pay four, the big dog's just going to pay seven. So first off, you never catch up to the big dog monetarily. Secondly, secondly, you get these voices in the room. And these are people who have been successful enough in business and ventures elsewhere in life to where they have a say in the way a football program is run, an athletic department is run, but they don't necessarily have the sense to run one themselves. They've never coached the game at a high level. They've never played the game at a high level in most cases, and they certainly have never built an organization in the field of athletics. Athletics is very unique. Some of the principles are the same as you exercise in the boardroom, but it's a different world when instead of working on pieces of paper and PowerPoint, you're working by putting your hands on another person and inflicting your will on them. Well, these folks have got money, and so therefore they have influence in some cases, and they do not necessarily have logic at the forefront of their decision-making, nor do they have logic on the forefront of what comes out of their mouths. And a lot of times what comes out of their mouth, to paraphrase, is, well, it used to be good enough when I was only paying you this much, but now I'm paying you X amount of dollars, so you've got to deliver. And what they're really saying is you've got to deliver more than what you're capable of delivering. And if you don't, I'm going to fire you and think you were the problem. I'm not saying this mentality is exclusive to the South. I'm saying it exists in higher volume in the SEC. And that's what makes it tougher in the SEC. Here's another thing that's creeping in right now. For the first time, I really think you're looking around the country and you're seeing folks like Matt Campbell. Or you're seeing guys like... Uh, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, perhaps. Uh, you're seeing guys like Billy Napier. He's done this at Louisiana. Those are the first generation of guys who are getting potential SEC offers and are looking at them and saying, mm, I don't think it's worth it. And the reason they're able to say that is because the television money that has been pumped into this sport is such that the pay is a lot more comparable at other programs outside of the SEC footprint than it ever has been before. Now, obviously, Louisiana cannot apples to apples match what Ole Miss can. Uh, Iowa State cannot apples to apples match what LSU can. And no one's suggesting otherwise. What they can do, though, is they can close the gap enough to where the trade-off, the pro, is I don't have to deal with all that down there. It outweighs the con of making 1.75 or 2 or $3 million less per year, especially if you live like those guys do. Those guys live kind of like me. They live a very, very modest lifestyle. And at some point, you just look at your bank account and you go, eh, whatever, all right. So Andre, outside of just the competition on the field, which is really, really heated too, I think those are some of the things that make it tougher in the SEC. Hugh is up next. Which coaches would LSU and Florida be fighting over if either of them are even pursuing the same candidates? Well, selfishly, I am hoping that Dave Aranda is one of these names. I've been pushing Dave Aranda. I believe whoever ends up with Dave Aranda has won this coaching search, unless someone pulls off some kind of shocker. I don't think they would be fighting over Lincoln Riley. I don't think. 
I think there would certainly be a fight over Billy Napier if if either wanted him or both wanted him, because Napier would certainly be interested in either of those jobs. Uh, what you have to be careful of is there are a lot of reports out there, and there are a lot of different stories and different bits of information you get in any given coaching search. Having been given a glimpse behind the scenes on coaching searches sometimes, you would be totally and utterly fascinated at how much BS you are fed. You would not be shocked in theory that you're fed BS. What I'm telling you is you would be shocked at how much stuff that looks credible and is widely accepted is BS. Just one example here. One example. Uh, that I think will probably surprise you a little bit. But I think in the future, this will just be public knowledge. Mel Tucker is getting a huge extension at Michigan State, right? And what is the popular talking point behind that? The popular talking point is, well, he's getting that huge extension because Michigan State had to cut LSU off at the pass. They had to make sure they locked their guy up before LSU could come get him. LSU was never coming after Mel Tucker. He was, his name was involved. His name was absolutely involved. Oh, I know. I know his name was involved very well. They were not going to offer Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker was well down their list. But it was just so widely reported and widely speculated that it was accepted by the mass public. And therefore, you set off this domino effect of the way that story will be told for potentially years and years and years, and it's just not true. You'll also hear about guys turning down jobs, or here's my favorite part, guys removing their names from consideration for jobs, which almost always means you don't get the job. We're going to give you an opportunity to save face publicly and say that you turned this down or that you withdrew your name from consideration. Uh, normally, if you got a guy withdrawing his name from consideration, that means he's doing so sheepishly because he wanted something and he couldn't get it. That's normally what that means. Let's go ahead and knock one more of these out here. Trevor said, if you got your choice between Florida, LSU, or USC, which job would you take? I would take LSU. I would take Florida second. Uh, USC would be a distant third for me. That's nothing personal against USC. I just think, uh, how should I put this? I think I would fit in around LSU or Florida a little bit more. I think I would feel more at home in Baton Rouge or in Gainesville than I would in L.A. Uh, the only L.A. that I would probably feel at home at is lower Alabama. And I don't think the South Alabama job's coming open. And so I'm going to have to settle in lieu of South Alabama being open for LSU and then Florida. Uh, on the surface, these jobs look comparable. One of the best jobs in the West, one of the best jobs in the East, both tradition, both very, very storied game day atmospheres. The reason I went LSU without hesitation is because I've got more confidence in the infrastructure. I've got more confidence in the full top to bottom buy-in. I also think the situation I would be stepping into is a more ready-made winner. I think the roster is very good. I think recruiting is humming, and I've got several recruiting classes stacked on top of each other to where I'm not starting over. Now, you're not starting over at Florida either, but I think the roster's in a better situation. There are less questions about investment. I've got better infrastructure. There aren't a bunch of products I've got to get off the ground. And also, I'm not intimidated at all by the prospect of having to compete in the SEC West. In fact, I'm attracted to it. One of the biggest misunderstandings between normal people and the 1% is the 1% number one, that has to be the pool you're hiring from. You don't hire from the 99% pool. You have to hire a one percenter. So by the very nature of what the job requires, you're already hiring someone who's different. That one percent crowd does not think like the 99 percenters. The 99 percenters look and say, oh, I want to go where the quickest path to winning is. I want to go where it's easier. Yes, you do. That's why they're not calling you to try and hire you, man. They want the one percenters. The one percenters look and say, I think I'm the best in the world. I think I've got the capability of doing it better than anybody else. So you've got Nick Saban at Alabama. That's okay. You got Jimbo at 
A&M, that's okay. That's fine. I think I can do what they can do and even better. And so I'm going to go there and I'm going to prove it. That's how a competitor thinks. A competitor is drawn to that. They want to step in the arena. You buy tickets to watch those people, not the other way around. There's a reason why that's the case. It's not for everyone. It is definitely not for everyone. But the few that it is for, they're not intimidated by that stuff. And conversely, if I'm hiring at USC right now and I ever get the inkling that someone is opting for my job because it's the easier path to anything. Or if Dabo left Clemson today and I was hiring and someone came in and said, just between you and me, you know, I had offers from LSU and Florida, but I'm coming here because to be honest with you, man, it's, it's just easier to get to that playoff if I'm at Clemson. Bye. See you later. I'll see you, bud. See you down the road. Can't have it. You know what happens if you think that way? You contribute to the softness of the ACC. You don't win in spite of it. There are a lot of folks up and down the East Coast right now who have that mentality. And you know what it creates? It creates a culture of softness. It creates a culture of underachievement. Because when everyone's in the conference, because it's the easiest one to win, it stays the easiest one to win because no one is achieving at a high level because no one's driven to do it. You want to know how I know that's probably accurate? Well, we got some job openings right now, don't we? Don't we have one at Florida? Don't we have one in Baton Rouge at LSU? Don't we have one at USC? How many ACC coaches do you see up for any of those jobs? Do you even hear any of their names? I think Halfley at Boston College wouldn't be a bad hire, but do you hear any of their names being mentioned? Why do you think that is? I'll move on. Gabe has totally and completely exposed me. Last night on Twitter, full disclosure here, last night, obviously, I put out, I'm about to record the Late Kick Extra podcast in about 30 minutes. Drop me some questions. So Gabe did drop a question, and Gabe said, do you actually record this in 30 minutes, or is it the next morning? You had to drop the phone for that one. Uh, Gabe, it is currently 6.56 a.m. on this Tuesday morning, and yes, sir, I am a fraud, and you have figured that out. I had every intention of recording this last night, but life happened. And by life, I mean I just started watching the latest episode of Yellowstone and got sidetracked. You understand. I mean, whomst amongst us hasn't been there before. But yeah, Gabe sniffed me out. So God bless you, Gabe. I'm going to go sit by the garbage and think about things for a few minutes. And I'm back. Will Shane Beamer be the SEC Coach of the Year, asks Bryce. I think it's between he and Sam Pittman. However, however, let me all caps that. However, Josh Heupel is in this. Yesterday, innocently enough, I put up a poll Said SEC Coach of the Year. Who is it? Shane Beamer, Sam Pittman. And then all of a sudden, the Vol Navy comes after me, and I understand why. I'm, I'm a, I live in Tennessee. I get it. It's not like I'm far away from the program. I just thought I had sensed that there was enough sentiment out there that it was down to those two that I misread the room. Okay, so I left Hypel out. So let's make it a three-way dance here. I'm not putting Kirby in this. I'll explain why in a second. Obviously, it's because I'm a Georgia hater. Uh, but for the real ones in the room, I'll explain the real reason in a second. Josh Heupel is in this. Yes. Okay, so three-way dance for SEC Coach of the Year. Josh Heupel, Shane Beamer, Sam Pittman. I think it's going to go to Pittman. That's my feel on things. But I also think we've got to finish the season. I mean, I think we all understand this would shift radically if somehow South Carolina were to beat Clemson. It would shift radically if Missouri upset Arkansas in the final week. I don't think Tennessee can do a whole bunch against Vandy, but I do think that there could still be some movement. It's kind of like the Heisman. There could still be some movement. Now, I just said to you, I don't think Kirby's going to be involved in this. You did not understand what I was talking about yesterday, folks. Some of you didn't. I don't want to paint with a broad brush there. Some people came after me because I didn't even include Kirby Smart's name in this. Well, I didn't because he's not going to win it for the same reason that Nick Saban only won it, I think, for the first time last year. I've always thought it was ridiculous. 
I've, I'm kind of on your side with this. I've always thought it was ridiculous that guys got punished for their recruiting prowess. And you know it's true. Because a lot of you have watched this award along with me and you've laughed at the results in the past. Nick Saban should have won this award half a dozen times or more. And I think last year was the first time he won it. Maybe like the second time. I don't know. But think about what I just said. The SEC Coach of the Year, which theoretically means we're giving it to the most outstanding coach in the conference in any given year. We're in the middle of the greatest dynasty in the history of this sport, led by the greatest coach in the history of this sport. Saban has won six national championships at Alabama, and he's won Coach of the Year in the SEC four times. I was wrong. I just went and counted. He's won it four times. Four times. So he's won more national championships than Conference Coach of the Year awards, which lets you know you get penalized when expectations are high and your roster is loaded. But here's the unfair part about that, which no one cares about because no one's crying for Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. Smart won't win it this year, probably for the same reasons. And that is the expectations were already high. Uh, no one ever bothers to ask why the expectations were high because it's because of him, but the expectations were high and the roster's loaded. No one stops to ask why the roster's loaded. It's because of him. So yes, it's unfair. Kirby Smart's not going to be involved here, but yet I don't think it changes the fact that he's probably not going to be involved. So I am merely trying to choose from the guys who will be involved. And I think it's down to those three. And I just gave you my lean, which is Sam Pittman at the moment. I think it's still undecided though. Hunter up next. Hunter said, you said you don't listen to music at the gym. Is listening to your podcast acceptable? I'm glad you asked this, Hunter. It's an important question, and I've wanted to address it. The answer is yes, it's acceptable. Next question from Hunter. You get full access to any one coach from any sport. Oh, I didn't see that part. All right, I'm going to keep it college football. So I'm going to rearrange your question for you, Hunter, and please don't sue me. You get full access to any one head coach in college football for an entire season. Who is the coach and why? Well, I'm going to stick on the theme of where I'm headed Saturday, and I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is the most enigmatic person I think we have in our sport. I think Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State is kind of like this, although Mike Gundy has personality. Harbaugh has none. Mike Gundy at least lets it spill out, but you still are very curious, what would it be like sitting in the passenger seat of this guy's car driving home from the office? What does he do with his free time? What is it like with him in a social setting? I don't know the answers to those questions. But with Jim Harbaugh, man, I have no clue. Jim Harbaugh is the kind of guy who may be able to sleep with his eyes open, a la Major Payne. Jim Harbaugh strikes me as the kind of guy that may eat exotic meats, you know, like the illegal kind you have to get flown in from Africa. Could absolutely see him starting his morning with eggs and rhinoceros bacon. Could easily see it. I could also see Jim Harbaugh driving a Maserati to work one day and then riding a bicycle to work the next day. Anything goes. I don't know him. I don't think anyone knows him. I don't think the people around the program know him. They know of him, and they've got their idea of him. But does anyone out there really claim to intimately know Jim Harbaugh? We know Saban more than we know Harbaugh by a 10 miles. We know Ryan Day more, and Ryan Day's been on the scene a fraction of the time that Jim Harbaugh has at the head coaching level. We know a lot of these other coaches. I don't know Jim Harbaugh. The place I'd probably be most fascinated to observe him is in a recruiting setting. When he goes into a living room to recruit, I mean, does he have the same mannerisms? Does he have the same facial expressions? Does he have that same general disposition that he does when I see him on TV or I'm in a press conference setting with him? I just, I'm curious. 
slash fascinated by that concept. So Hunter, I'm rolling with Jim Harbaugh. You know, we almost had a sit down with him this week. So normally what happens, oh, I got to remember to get around to the story from last week. This is a good way to dovetail that. So I normally go to cities on Friday, but what happens is we get one-on-ones. Since we're with CBS, we get one-on-ones with the head coaches, with the programs most of the time. Like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dennis Dodd and our guy, they drove down to Temple, Texas. That's where Oklahoma flew in to stay before they played Baylor. And so they go down there and they get a one-on-one with Lincoln Riley, come back, get the one-on-one with Dave Aranda. Sometimes I get in town early enough to do that. Sometimes I don't. Well, this past weekend, I got in town early enough and I opted out of a one-on-one with Ryan Day so I could go to a ping pong tournament, which I think is the more responsible decision. And I think we got more good Instagram material out of that. That is the new age. It's the new media age. But with Harbaugh, I was going to fly in on Thanksgiving Day if I needed to, to get a one-on-one with him. But unfortunately, because it's Thanksgiving week and it is a pretty big game, we don't have time to get the one-on-ones. So I'm going to Michigan on Friday, just like a normal person. But I was going to go up there because I've never, outside of press conferences, I have never been in the same room as Jim Harbaugh. And I've never certainly had one-on-one time with him. And I was just going to try and crack him. I was going to bring a a feather with me and try and tickle him. I was going to tell him some jokes. I was going to give him a recipe or two, just anything to get some life. But alas, it'll have to wait. So speaking of last weekend, as you know, the Tuesday pod has become famous slash infamous. Never really been sure which one is appropriate to use when uh, for telling road stories and telling travel stories from the previous week. This past week, we went to Michigan State versus Ohio State. And I don't know what really happened to the Renaissance Tour this week. I was thinking about it. And sometimes if you go to a blowout game and you have your choice, like we do, of going to any game in the country you want to, you have regret. Because you always had these other games that you chose from, and inevitably you look at your phone and those games are locked up in a tight contest midway through the second half and you're watching a blowout. I have had that happen before. This past week was not like that. So we came down to two finalists when I was choosing where we were going to go for this past weekend. We were either going to go to Columbus for Michigan State, Ohio State, which we did, or we were going to go to Salt Lake City for Oregon at Utah. Guys, the combined final scores was 94 to 14. We had no prayer. We had no shot. And there was this distant third choice, which was Montana State versus Montana. Even that was a blowout. So we had been on a heater all year, man. We've seen some close games. In fact, we have not seen a single blowout. I don't think the closest thing we've seen to a blowout was last week. And that was with Baylor over Oklahoma And that included a field storming. So it's not your typical blowout. It's an upset. It's an upset. And the underdog actually ends up winning by double digits. So that that experience in Columbus this past Saturday, that was an anomaly. And hopefully it doesn't get duplicated. Either way, I don't care who wins this Saturday. But either way, Ohio State, Michigan, hopefully that point spread is right. Hopefully that's a close game. So anyway, I go up there on Friday. I drove up to Talmadge, Ohio. I landed in Columbus, drove up to Talmadge, Ohio, got to see a buddy, Matt Wentz. He is a meteorologist in Cleveland. He and I worked together down in Columbus. I mean, we were in the trenches in Columbus, Georgia. There's a lot of Columbuses flying around. Columbus GA, that's where I'm from. That's where he and I met. We were working at the same station. And he is the guy, I've told you this story before, he's the guy who first introduced me to the concept of Facebook Live He is, as I said, a meteorologist, and it was like 2014 or whenever it would have been, and there was a weather system happening somewhere. Cannot remember what the storm was, but when I walked in one day and he was watching a forecast and I thought he had just a normal web page pulled up, I noticed the interface was Facebook. I said, what are you watching? 
He said, well, this is new. It's Facebook Live. Like, now they can stream. And at the time, only accredited accounts could stream. Now, obviously, everyone can do it. But back then, it was brand new technology. And since then, obviously, you've got YouTube Live as well, Twitch and whatnot. But back then, Periscope had become a big deal. And so Facebook said, nah, negative. We're going to do that too. So they were doing it. Well, that was the day that it dawned on me. And I've told the story. I'm not going to tell the whole story again. But it dawned on me, that was the key. That was the ticket. If that was about to be the new digital path, then all of a sudden, overhead and distribution were no longer barriers standing between someone like me and creating a big college football show. Anyway, so that happened back then. Well, then he moves on to Cleveland and I move here. So hadn't seen him in a while. Got to go up there and just smoke him in ping pong. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. He and I had some epic ping pong battles. I, this is the third time I'm going to say this. I know it gets annoying. It annoys me too, but I'm going to say it again. I've told this story before. I'm not going to tell it again, but man, those Friday nights when all we had was a six o'clock newscast and an 11 o'clock newscast. And we were the number three station in the market at the time, which meant we were out of the purview. Management was a little more loose. Management goes home. Sales department checks out a little early on Friday and we had nothing but time between the 6 and the 11, especially in the summer before football season has started. And we would take that news desk, and we, it was on rollers, and we would roll the news desk out of the studio, and we would have full-on parties in the studio. We would bring a ping-pong table in, we would crank music, we would open the garage door where they loaded in and out all the freight, and we would invite friends over, we would invite people from the neighborhood, and we would just have giant parties, kind of like a fraternity house, in the news studio between the six o'clock and the 11 o'clock broadcast. We would also throw shirts over all the security cameras and we would send one lookout into master control where they had the monitors and we would distract, <laughs> I'm not making this up. We would distract the master control operator while everybody else threw shirts over the security cameras that could see what was happening. And yeah, that's what we were doing on Fridays. So yeah, it was good to see him. Good to see the fam there. Headed back down, uh, got to Ohio Stadium very early. Those noon kickoffs, you know I love them. I get there about three and a half hours before kickoff. Parked right next to the stadium. But see, here was the problem. The problem was not getting in there. I was terrified the whole day that I was not going to be able to make my flight. Think about it. 12 o'clock noon Eastern kickoff, and I've got a 6.30 flight out of Columbus, Ohio. And so you think, oh, that's plenty of time. Well, is it? Because you figured the game's going to be three and a half hours minimum. Then we've got to do post-game live hits on CBS Sports HQ. And that is at least 30 minutes after the game ends. So you're already at four o'clock. You see how this starts getting really, really tight. So we do about a 10-minute live hit. And this is all best case scenario. So 4.15, you're finally unhooked, you're unwired, you're done with your live hit. And if you run right out of there, you're probably getting to your car at 4.30. And at that point, with over 100,000 people spilling out, and there's no interstate right next to this place like there was at Baylor, you're at the mercy of the traffic. But then, I guess what looked like a curse turned into a blessing. When it's 49 to nothing at halftime, a funny thing happens. The crowd starts thinning out really, really early. And so by the time I left that place, I probably walked out of there about what I just said, about 4.15, I was in TSA and through TSA and into the terminal by five o'clock. And I returned a rental car in the process. So that's got to be a record. So I got out of there no problem in large part due to the blowout nature of the game. But I met a lot of you as we have every week. That's a broken record. Now I met Luke who's in the Ohio State marching band. I meet a ton of band members and a lot of players on teams, several coaches too, but a lot of band members and a lot of players on teams they normally find me on the field some way and they say, hey, uh, you know, even though maybe I can't comment publicly all the time, love your podcast, love your show. 
So I know you guys are listening. Thank you. Always trying to acknowledge you. Thank you. Luke, though, gave me an actual buck nut from Buckeye Grove up there. And that was an unexpected present that I appreciated. But guys, here's what I really want to tell you. For the second week in a row, when I got off that elevator and I went into that press box for the first time, the smell of breakfast engulfed me. And I know I told you Baylor last week was the best I've had all year. And I'm not telling you that this weekend topped it, but I'm also telling you it didn't finish second place. They had everything. Oh, they had everything. Everything. Full sausage and bacon arrangement, multiple kinds of scrambled eggs. This is also the first time that I've ever seen an actual restaurant served in the press box. And I've never had those things from McDonald's before, the the McCafe things, you know, kind of the iced coffee stuff. But I know several of my friends are addicted to them. Well, I know now why you are addicted to them. Because the special ingredient appears to be cocaine. I drank four of those things, loaded with sugar, terrible for me, no doubt, but I couldn't stop. And they kept making them. And so I felt it was my obligation. I didn't want to make them feel bad. So it's my obligation. They had an entire assortment of every kind of drink you would ever imagine from McDonald's. So Ohio State press box brought to you by McDonald's. But man, they had some good food. And they also had hash browns. You know, it's the second week in a row. I've had hash browns and pigskin. I mean, what more could you want? Oh, one more thing. Forgot about this. So I stayed at a Hilton. <laughs> I'm so fancy, I know. I stayed at a Hilton in Columbus. First time ever I've had a gym in my room. And it really didn't even cost anything extra. I thought it was a typo, personally. When I was booking, and I insist on booking my own travel, they'll do it for me, but they'll also you know, put me on terrible flights. So I booked my own travel. I booked this room, and the Hilton just gives me an option. Hey, sir, would you like a, a pull-up bar and dumbbell set and medicine balls in your room? Uh, Absolutely. And they said, okay, here you go. It's called our fitness room. Take it. It's yours. And normally, I'm used to there being a gym at the hotel. It's just normally its own room. Well, I had the gym in the room. It was great. So I did Friday Night Lines, which is the super secret management doesn't know about it, so don't tell them shush emoji gambling chat that I do at about midnight Eastern on Friday night. Got to be following on the Instagram page to get it at Late Kick Josh. We are killing it. I mean, we are closing as strong as anyone can possibly close with our betting picks. Uh, but after I did that, I did some pull-ups now. Did went to bed with a solid lat burn going on. Almost cramped up during the night. So it was a good trip. It wasn't the best game to see, but it was a good trip. It was my first time ever to Ohio State. Going for my first time ever to Michigan this Saturday and cannot wait for that. I mean, that's a huge rivalry. I always grew up with the rivalries in the South, and I knew of the rivalries elsewhere as a kid, but I've never gotten to experience a lot of them. So now, one after one, you know, with the Renaissance Tour and being blessed to have the job I have, we're getting to check those off. And I soak it up, as you can tell, because I have stories every week when I come back. We soak all that up. It's really fun to talk about. It gives us a lot of material to talk about in the dreaded off-season, too. So I'm pretty sure I'll dive back into this for a full retrospective at some point. Kind of like I'm diving in to this ad break. Be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I know I got you with that one. Zero percent chance you saw that ad break coming. And now we continue with some playoff talk because tonight is a big night. We're going to find out. That order, it's not so much a big night for who's going to be in the top four, top ten, but it is the order at four and five that I'm curious about. I'm also curious as to whether Ohio State jumps Alabama. And with that in mind, here's a question from Lance. Lance said, let's say Oklahoma and Oklahoma State split. Uh, first, that's that's flawed, but let me get back to it. So OU and Oklahoma State split. Michigan loses to Ohio State. Would it be 11-1 Notre Dame or 10-2 Bama? Well, here's the problem with this. Oklahoma, if they lose Saturday to Oklahoma State, they don't get a rematch. They're out. It would be Baylor and Oklahoma State, I believe is how that works. So um, for the sake of argument, let's say OU does win Saturday and then they lose to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game. Yes, that absolutely could happen. So who would we have? We would have a one-loss Oklahoma State conference champ. We would have Michigan loses to Ohio State... We would have an Ohio State 11-1, 12-1, I guess, Big Ten champ. So both of those, I think, would be in. Ohio State's in. Oklahoma State, I believe, would be in. But there's some question about that. Anyway, the question for Lance came down to a 10-2 Alabama versus an 11-1 Notre Dame. I'm putting Bama in all day. You don't have that conference championship that's supposed to matter, and it's a critical metric. Uh, Notre Dame's strength of record wouldn't even be close to Alabama's. I would put Bama in. In fact, I haven't even looked at a scenario where I think it's going to come down to an Alabama versus Notre Dame for the fourth spot, only because I don't think it's a question. Believe it or not, with the way the metrics work, Alabama going into that Saturday against Georgia, if they were to lose by, let's say, three points, their resume would actually be boosted more relative to Notre Dame because they played that number one team and played them very competitively. I firmly believe that. I even believe in that because there is one of the big three lies, which is a win is a win, a loss is a loss. No, it's not. If I lose to the number one team by three points and you sit at home and do nothing, I had a more productive day than you. I'll always believe that. But having said that, I don't think that's who it's going to come down to. If there's a 10-2 Bama that is being measured against someone, I think it would be a 10-2 Bama against an undefeated Cincinnati or maybe like a 12-1 and conference champ Oklahoma State. And I've had some argument with people over the past week about this. I get the sense Oklahoma State would be in. I get the sense Cincinnati's got a good shot at this. And it's because you've never had the two-loss non-conference champ. You've had the one-loss non-conference champ. It's been Bama. I think Ohio State got in one year like this. But you know what those were? Those were dominant-looking teams, especially at the end of the year. They were dominant-looking teams. Bama has not looked dominant at any point after pretty much week one this year, and they also wouldn't have that conference championship in their back pocket, and they're sitting there with two losses. I just, I think it's going to matter. To that committee, I think it's going to matter. And so I still believe, even though I I firmly believe other folks are going to tell you different, I do believe that an undefeated Cincinnati or maybe a one-loss Oklahoma State, they're going to be able to get in. But as I say that, notice how I'm very hesitant. Number one, because I don't like to make definitive statements about these sorts of things. But number two, it's because we have to see that conference championship Saturday play out. Think about where your mind is right now, and then think about where your mind could go, just like mine. If Cincinnati wins by four points 
this week against East Carolina. That's another shaky win, and you would look at it and you'd say, wow, they did not look impressive. But, hey, they won. They're still undefeated. Now they're going to go to the conference championship game. Let's say they go, and let's say they beat Houston by a point. So they're just by the skin of their teeth. They're winning these games that you're sure Alabama would also win. But, hey, it's Cincinnati, and they're undefeated, and they won the conference title. Okay, let's say Alabama goes to Auburn and wins convincingly Saturday. And then let's say they go to Atlanta, and they're just in a slugfest war with Georgia, and they lose by three. How would you feel about the quality of the teams at that point? How would you view them? We, the answer is we don't know because you actually have to see it in order to arrive at your conclusion. And that's where I have a lot of hesitation in painting these scenarios. Because we don't know, like how many times, how many times in 2014 did you hear people say, well, it doesn't matter if Ohio State wins out at this point because they've already got this crippling loss on their resume. They're not going to be able to make it in. Well, then they beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing in the Big Ten title game. And it flipped over the span of 60 minutes of football. It flipped to where people all of a sudden said, you can't keep them out. Look at how they're playing. Exactly. That's why you wait and you watch how the games play out. I'm going to talk about this a lot more tonight. Obviously, we'll have a fresh batch of rankings in our hand by the time Late Kick Live goes on air. So I would encourage you to listen to that. I would also encourage you, you know what, I'm not going to encourage you. I'm going to congratulate you and thank you. We got over 2,000 five-star reviews. I didn't realize it until yesterday morning. We got over 2,000 five-star reviews, which obviously means the drive to 3,000 begins. But I got to stop and I got to tell you, thank you for that because it's not easy to get there. You know, you would think, I mean, we have millions of people tuning into this show every month. So you would think, oh, 2,000 five-star reviews. That's not that hard. Well, it is. And it's not just an us problem. Look across the board. People will not take the time normally to go out of their way, even though it's free and it takes one minute to give you a five-star review. Well, at least 2,000 of you did. And so I appreciate that. Now, if you feel guilty right now, there's never been a better time than the present to go give us a five-star review. I will appreciate it. Thanksgiving present to all of us. I will appreciate it. But sincerely, those of you who have done that, thank you for that. Subscribing to the YouTube channel. All of these things cost you nothing, but they also keep you from paying anything. If you've, if you've done a little cursory scan around the internet lately, you've noticed there are some other mediums out there that try and bring you college football content that cannot manage to stay free. They cannot manage to even stay at their current price point. They're having to jack prices up. They're having to sell ads. And if you'll notice, we've got one partner on this show, Academy Sports and Outdoors, and we have not charged you a dime. And that's the way we want to keep it. And the way we do that is by the cooperation that you and I have. And every now and then when I ask you to do something, you guys always do it. You guys always come through. That is called community. And that's why we're able to do something here at an alarmingly fast growth rate that is the envy of the rest of the industry. Everyone else wants to be able to do that. We're doing it no problem. So when I tell you I appreciate it, I may say it fast and move through it. No, I really, I really appreciate it because a lot of folks want us to bottle up and give to them what we have. And that's not the way it works. I know how it works. That's why I thank you every time I can. Hey, it's Thanksgiving week. So I hope you guys have a safe trip wherever you're going. Or if you're staying home and you're welcoming people, I hope that's fun for you too. Uh, make sure you're checking out Late Kick Live tonight because even though it's Thanksgiving week. This is how college football always works. The holiday season overlaps with the busiest time of the year. We just got to work through it, and we will. 
We will work through it dutifully together. So I'm guessing we're going to have a jam-packed show tonight. I don't even know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll have a jam-packed show tonight. So thank you for making this show yours and making it a success. I'll see you tonight. I'm sending this to producer Jordan to cut up right now. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. God bless and have a great rest of your Tuesday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.